talk to me a little bit about January 4, 2016 and, and how this whole thing came about. And I'd like to talk about how that investigation progressed and what you found with respect to this whole issue of cyberbullying. Well, when um, on January the 4th, um, I found my son and he had taken his life. And the months prior to that, he had um, been a victim of cyberbullying. And it started from a Instagram post, or we thought it started from an Instagram post. And that was actually when we first found out about it. And after digging into it and talking to David a little bit more, we realized that it had been going on for some time before that. He just hadn't told us until... Um, the Instagram post, which was in um, October of 2015. And so um, it went on. We, we changed schools. We got counseling. Uh, David was hospitalized. And uh, ultimately, uh, because the cyberbullying did not stop, it continued, even though he didn't have social media any longer, he gave in to the hopelessness that it would never end. Um, and so um, he took his life in January of 2016. City streets and the quiet town boulevards. The scene of the crime is the focal point of every investigation. Here, you've joined the team on a thread of evidence where your mind will be open to the exciting science of forensic investigations. Dr. Ron is a nationally renowned forensic criminologist who leads the nation's finest forensic death investigations team. Your host, Dr. Ron Martinelli, will lead this investigation. Hi, this is Dr. Ron Martinelli, and I've got a very important topic for our discussion today, team. And that is cyberbullying. And you know, the theme in my show often is the unintended consequences of actions that they take. And I've got with me today Maureen and Matt Molak, and they're from San Antonio, Texas, just down the road from our offices here. And their son, David, on or about January 4th of 2016, was the victim of suicide. And that suicide, during the course of the investigation, was determined, was caused by cyberbullying. Let me say that word again. Cyberbullying. And you know, as a longtime detective, I investigated a lot of crimes. And I investigated a lot of suicides. And as a forensic criminologist, that's one of the things that I do all over the country. But I have to tell you, when I ran into this story, and by the way, let me tell you how I ran into this story, by reading a copy of People magazine. And I saw this story about the Molaks and the tragic suicide and the loss of their son David from cyberbullying. And I had just had a brief moment of understanding of that. So I really didn't have a good understanding. And if a guy like me who's in the industry didn't really understand the whole problem of cyberbullying and its consequences, well, I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity 
for the Molaks to come in here. And they were kind enough to share their story with us today. And I hope that you will take something from this show, especially those of you that are parents of uh, preteen and, and teenage uh, kids, and maybe even young adults that are in college. Because with our increasing presence and dependence on social media in what I refer to as the millennium generation, where they are totally dependent, and even some people are actually addicted to social media, I thought that this would be something that the Molax and I could share with you and to provide a warning in just something where you can just kind of check on your kids and make sure this is not happening to them. First of all, Maureen and Matt, thank you so much for being a part of our show on A Thread of Evidence. You know, we're talking about a few things that I think some of our audience uh, who tend to be older um, may not know. Can you explain to me what Instagram is on social media? So Instagram is like Facebook or Snapchat. It's an it's an application that's used. It's very popular. It's actually one of the most popular channels that kids use uh, to talk to one another. There's messaging that can go on behind the scenes. So kids are really no longer using regular text. They are using these applications to communicate with one another. And so Instagram is a place where you can post a picture and then people will make comments about it. And, and that is how it started that night. There was a picture that was posted and then there were comments that followed. Now, is Instagram something that kids have on their cell phones? Is that how they access it? They can get an application for their cell phone and then put this on? Because I certainly don't have it on mine. Yes, they can either have it on their cell phone or their computer. They can just download it and they have a username and password and they can log in. And you have friends and you have people that follow you. Um, and so... Yeah, that's that can can you share with us what started the cyberbullying? What what was the precipitating factor? What came up? Why did the cyberbullying start? Well, what we think it was 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 based on uh, jealousy. David had a, a, a nice looking girlfriend, and uh, and we think that it that it started uh, based on jealousy, jealousy of of, of David's girlfriend. There were some some um, some boys that uh, just couldn't understand why um, she would want to have anything to do with with our son, and um, and so they they made a target out of David and and um, you know posted a picture of of, of uh, the girlfriend and, and uh, talking with somebody else at a party and um, and made made some comments uh, about David about his looks. Um, and then following that, there were, there were dozens and dozens of comments, uh, and multiple people, uh, anything from, from threats to, uh, of bodily harm, uh, put him six feet under, put him in a body bag. I wouldn't come to school, uh, to, you know, something even more mild, something like, uh, uh, LOL or which, you know laugh out loud or this is great or I want to see an effing fight uh, and it just went on and on and, and people made multiple comments and a lot of these people were uh, David didn't even know and and so in, in his 16 year old uh, mind he just turned 16 uh, he he 
felt that he was was hated. He was scared. He didn't want to go to school. And so a lot of a lot of you know the best analogy that I've heard about this is that it's when you have these type of gang type cyber attacks that it's that it's like um, stoning in biblical times. That maybe each comment by itself is not doing a serious amount of harm, but when you compile it, it uh, damage is done. No, this was at Alamo Heights High School in, in San Antonio. Is that where this was taking place? That's right. He, had, uh, he was a sophomore at Alamo Heights, um, and it was in October of 2015. And uh, we remember the evening that it happened very explicitly. He came into our room. It was about 11 p.m. or so, and he was just uh, beside himself. He was crushed. Uh, he couldn't really talk. And... Um, he, he showed us some of the comments. You can go in and on these sites and, and delete a lot of things, but we were able to, to uh, screenshot as many as we could and try to, try to collect some evidence. But we, at, the, at the same time, we're trying to, trying to console him and trying to understand uh, what was going on and what was happening to sure. him and, and why. Did you make contact with the school authorities there and uh, try to, through you know your collection of evidence, which is part of what this program's all about, did you, uh, with your screenshots and everything, were you sort of able to identify through monikers on the Instagram and take that to the school and discuss this issue, this problem with the school authorities, Maureen? We did, or I did the next day. I took the screenshots to the school, and although the school felt like it was very serious in nature and they were worried about David's safety and they were going to help protect him because it happened after school hours, they basically felt like their hands were tied. Um, They felt like there were some things that they could do, but, you know, there's, there's a a group of, of, of folks out there that believe that what happens uh, outside of school is not a school's responsibility, you know, that they shouldn't right. have any say in what goes on after school hours. But our thoughts on that is if you have a student who's afraid to go to school, don't and, and it's happening because of some students at that school, don't we owe it to that child to be able to look into and investigate it at least and be able to determine what is going on and how can we protect that child and make that child feel safe where he can go to school? Right, you know, exactly. The way I look at it as an investigator and, uh, you know, just, you know, for my, my team members out there, I uh, actually started my career as a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. And it would seem to me that the theme here is that everybody belongs to that high school. So it actually emanates from the high school. There is a definite relationship between the suspects in this case, who are cyberbullying your son, and their involvement with the high school. Sometimes I just tell you the truth. I think that the high school just kisses something like that off. Uh, and I could assure you that if it was a hate crime or something like that, all those kids would probably have been suspended because that's more of a politically correct thing to do than what, unfortunately, they did with your son. So I'm hearing now that, that, that your son is being barraged. I think your analogy, Matt, was excellent. You know, one stone after another. And like you said, you know, you take one insult and you isolate it, and it doesn't mean much. But really, you have to sort of think about this this kid being piled on with all sorts of in, of insults and that how that psychologically affects him 
How did it then proceed after uh, I'm hearing a frustrating experience from Alamo Heights administration? What happened then? Well, they, they worked with me. They moved him to a different um, campus to keep him safe while I worked to get him into a private school. At, at the time, David felt like uh, he, that, he, that was the right thing to do. He wanted to move schools. He didn't want to go back to Alamo Heights. And so I worked really hard to get him into a school. He wanted a regular school experience, and we were able to move him. But unfortunately, what is makes cyberbullying so damaging is that you know, it's not being thrown into a locker. It's something that can happen 24-7 in the privacy of your own bedroom. And so it continued, even though David no longer had social media, it didn't stop kids from taking screenshots of it still happening out there on social media and sending that to him through regular text or even showing it to him in person. And so, so that child who is the target even though they can't see it happening, they know it's still going on. And the fact that they can't actually see it, psychiatrists tell me, is almost more damaging because their mind is racing trying to figure out what is being said about them because they can't even see it. Well, that's a good point that you've raised. And just for clarity for, for me and maybe for, for some of our team that are listening to this, um, did you direct David, or did he do it on his own, to just take those applications off his phone, take them off his PC, uh, don't look at this stuff anymore, but yet, even though that was done, it still persisted? That's correct. Because they were physically bringing things to him? Mm-hmm. Yep. That is absolutely incredible. And I'm sure that the kids that brought them, I'm not sure, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that the kids that brought those to him weren't trying to do it in a malicious way. I think maybe they thought that they were helping in some kind of oh, another, way. So in other words, hey, look what they're still doing to you, it's, that type of thing, yeah, like trying exactly, to help. Yeah. But that had consequences as well. Exactly. Because it was still psychological damaging, wasn't it? That's right. Hey, l- let's talk a little bit about what kind of boy David was. You know, I, I have to refer the, the listeners to, the, uh, to, to your story. And, you know, let me tell you that I have to find it again. But it was in, do you know what month it was of uh, People Magazine where, where that story first came out about? It was the January 1st, 2018. Great. So those of you that might still have a, a People Magazine or you can uh, Google People Magazine back for the January uh, you know, edition, uh, I want to tell you something. This is one handsome young man. Okay, just when, you know, Matt, when you sort of said something about his looks, I don't want people to get the wrong impression. This was a handsome boy, okay, someone that any parent would be, we'd be proud to have. Okay, good-looking young man. So tell us a little bit about David and, and his personality. Well, David is, uh, he was our, our youngest son. We have uh, three boys, and there's a, a five-year difference between David and our, and our middle son, uh, but he was just a, he, he was really just an ordinary kid. He, he loved uh, to be around people. He loved to have friends. He, he was, uh, had a great sense of humor. He was witty. He, um, he loved sports. He was, was really into fantasy football and, um, and loved the Spurs and, and, and basically knew all NFL and NBA players. So just he a good all American really, kid. Good, a good, a great kid. Um, he was, uh, uh, 
finished scouts. He was an Eagle Scout and 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 finished that um, in 2015. Which, by the way, it, for those of you that are not familiar with Boy Scouts, that is the highest level that a Boy Scout can achieve, and it's actually quite an amazing accomplishment. And. You know, the only difference may have been that he do, he was a, a sensitive child, and, and he he had a lot of compassion for for others. Um, he we had a, a a child, an orphan in Uganda that we sponsored for many years and continue to sponsor. And David would write him letters, and and they would they would correspond and and call each other's uh, brothers from another land, and and he would you know he did a lot of service work and. Um, his Eagle Scout project was for Youth for Christ at a at a uh, a youth center on the near west side, and and you know he he did mission trips and he he did a lot of things and which we remember story uh, of him first learning about the Holocaust in in middle school and he just could not comprehend uh, that kind of evil that 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 people were were able to to do something like that sure. that that was really the that really was happened uh, that it was true history so that's the kind of child he was and, and and maybe because of that sensitive side and and that that amount of compassion might have made him more of a target sure so when all this cyberbullying is going on and you know you're you're trying to work with the high school and you're making you know changes for David to transition to a new school um was there any police involvement in in this investigation whatsoever did the police ever do anything did you ever call the police and uh, complain to the police about this no at the time we didn't we didn't think that there was you know, we didn't really know much about it. We didn't know if it was a crime or not. I mean, we were so focused on his happiness and getting him in a place to where he could have a normal high school experience and just sort of move on. You know, one of the things when kids are target of this kind of abuse, whether it's physical bullying or online bullying, all they want is for that behavior to stop. They don't want to bring any more... Um, notice or any you know they don't want to be the subject of any more you know uh publicity around them but they're just wanting that behavior to stop and so you know we were just trying to get him in a place to where he was happy The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world, to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. 
award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Hi, this is Dr. Ron Martinelli, and we are back again on a thread of evidence with Maureen and Matt, and we are talking about the tragic suicide death of their son, David, as, in most part, a causation of cyberbullying. And so, let me just return you back to that just horrible night and what happened at the time that you went back into that backyard um well i had called the the police to report david missing and i had was searching the house and the police officer we were trying to ping his phone and they had um helicopters out looking for him and uh the police officer went to the backyard and I had to go to the other side of the house to turn on some floodlights. And when I went over to the other side of the house to turn on the floodlights, um, that is when I saw my son and, um, the rest of it, I don't remember. I was, um, incoherent, um, just in a, a state of, hysterics you know yeah and I spent the next four months in a in a horrible state of fog and I laid on my sofa for months just waiting for the nightmare to be over I knew that at some point I was going to wake up and this was not going to have really happened I mean it couldn't have happened we were just a regular family and I, you know, it was during that period of time that I was laying on the sofa that I received messages and emails and texts from other people, parents and students who had experienced the same thing that David had experienced. And they were sharing with me similar stories of helplessness, hopelessness. Even girls would share with me that they were self-cutting. Many were suicidal. They talked about the feelings of desperation and helplessness and just the awful depression that it would cause when they, the public shame and humiliation that is caused by cyberbullying is so incredibly damaging. When you were, uh, you know, in in the post-incident, what type of contact did you have with law enforcement, if any? Were, Were they there? Did they try to assist your family in any way in trying to determine what had happened here? Well, they were they were involved, like like Maureen had said, uh, in in looking for David, and and so once once he was found, and they they continued on and and started with uh, with an investigation, and and um, a few days later, they they did assign a a detective to to look into it to see what uh, exactly had had happened, and so they took David's phone and and uh, did some forensic work on that and they we gave them the screenshots and, and anything that we had and they did some did some interviews um, with with his girlfriend her family and because uh, he had been at their house earlier in the evening and uh, 
and, and talked to us, and, and they went to the school, and, and I believe they interviewed some administrators uh, up at the school. And we never really had a, a, um, a final uh, look at the file, but uh, after several months it was, it was turned over to the district attorney with a, a recommendation that, uh, that, that no charges be filed. And I, I think it's just because of the, the timing in between the, um, the Instagram and all of that happening and, uh, and, and when he took his life, that, that there was, uh, you know, if they're looking for, for some kind of a, a manslaughter charge, I just don't think they could ever get there. Okay. Matt, can, let me just, uh, for our team, just uh, we've talked about a couple of, of things, and I wanted to just let them know a little bit about the forensic side of this. Maureen, you mentioned the fact that when they were looking for David that night, they were pinging his phone. Okay, what, what does that mean, pinging the phone? Well, team, what happens is when you have a cell phone, uh, you're using a carrier, and that cell phone communicates with cell towers that are located all over the place. And we all know what cell towers are. You drive past them all the time. You walk past them. You see them. Well, forensically, what we can do is with the transmission that that phone gives out and the GPS that are incorporated, the global positioning system, that's what GPS means, what we can do is we can forensically determine where that phone is and whether that phone is moving or not by triangulating between three different cell towers. And perhaps in this particular case, if David had his phone with him or still at the premises, then that ping would come back to the Molex residence. Was that correct, uh, Maureen? Is that how that happened? Yeah, it showed him in, in him in the near area. Right. It won't give home. you exactly. Yeah, right. right. And that's why they sent the helicopters out. Exactly. And then uh, what uh, what Matt's talking about is the ability for the police department to take that cell phone and to forensically download it. I know here at Martinelli and Associates we have a we have a computer and a forensic download expert. And so we're able to take things like SIM cards and things like that and we're able to basically suck all of that information out of there. And so all of the phone calls can be sucked out. Uh, all of the photographs, all of the text messages, any Instagram things, and then we can go back from there and pull Facebook accounts, Instagram accounts, and everything. So when people think, actually, that they delete something because it all goes in the cloud, nothing is actually ever permanently deleted. We can recover things from, from years ago. So I think that's what Matt is referring to, and then taking that package and giving it to the district attorney. Now, we're going to be heading in this direction pretty soon about laws and everything like that, but I just wanted uh, you know, you team members to know that with regards to you know, laws and law enforcement and breaking the laws and things, every single law is what we refer to as codified. That means it is written in black and white and it is put in, in a statute and those statutes are uh, all over the United States. We've got books. Some of them are called revised statutes. Some are called statutes. 
Uh, out in California, they call it a penal code. And that's where all your codified laws are. So when a police officer is trying, or detective trying to find out whether someone has violated a law, you know, criminally, then we will go to that state's statutes and see if there is some sort of law that people have violated. Now, in order to to get a district attorney to sign a warrant or to indict someone or even like a grand jury to indict someone, they have to, the, 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 the bodies that make those determinations have to look at what we refer to as the elements of a crime. Okay, the corpus, remember we talked about this in a previous show for the Latin, it means body of the crime. Well, that means the elements of the crime. And let's say an, a crime has three elements. All three of those elements have to be satisfied during the course of an investigation for the district attorney to indict someone, okay, to do a warrant. And so, you know, going back to what you were talking about, Matt, when the detectives uh, went to the district attorney, uh, you were saying that the district attorney wasn't able to file? They, they went to him with, uh, with a recommendation not, not to file because they, they didn't have enough evidence. They, they did subpoena um, uh, Facebook, uh, but actually subpoena David's Facebook account. And I think it's just something that they're not used to. It's, uh, you know, they're used to doing regular robberies and murders and things like this, but a lot of this is happening on social media sites that are relatively new, and so you really have to have specialists in that area. And they, they didn't get a very good response uh, from, from, their, from their subpoena. They really weren't satisfied. This is according to the detective. They really weren't satisfied with what they got back from, from, from Facebook, and, and, and they were... They subpoenaed David's account, which probably, you know, if, if I'm a second-guessing person, I would say that the, the, the instigator's account should have probably been looked at and not David's because that's David's site is, he, he rarely used. Well, I will tell you that they definitely need David's site, okay, because David is the victim, okay? So the detectives are looking at David being the victim, okay, of cyberbullying, let's say that, okay, or harassment, or maybe even threats, because those are all against the law, okay? But from David's cell phone, that's how a detective moves to other suspects, because from David's cell phone, they trace back who the person was that sent the damaging Instagram messages or Facebook messages and things like that. In your contacts with the detectives, from the girlfriend backwards to the different people that sent messages, did you get any indication that the detectives went out and interviewed any of those kids that sent those damaging emails or Instagrams or Facebook messages to David? No, I don't. I don't think that they actually talked to any of the kids. They basically said that the uh, that. Some of them had already hired a lawyer, and they, that um, that the the indication was is that nobody was going to be willing to uh, to talk to them, and that uh, basically lawyering up. 
and, and also I guess another difficulty is is that you have so many people involved in, in you know one one person's comment that that's relatively benign what do you do you go after that person uh, which how do, where do you draw the line as to as as to who you go after and, and who you don't you know and so these were all all challenges that they had and and you know they were trying to go I, I, I'm assuming I don't know in fact we're trying to go after some kind of a, of a manslaughter because of his death but I, I think they could have gone after the the threats and assaults but it, it would have been right. uh, like a, a slap on the wrist and it really wouldn't have it, right. it's like a traffic ticket and, and I'll bet that, that was a waste of their resources I'll, I'll bet that was an extremely frustrating experience for the two of you um, where the police just couldn't pin down exactly where they wanted to go with respect to finding a violation of the law that was suitable and some way that they could prosecute these people that did these horrible things to your son, Maureen. Yeah, so you're right. And and that's why we knew that we wanted to pass a law. We wanted to help other children, other parents who were victims of this kind of abuse and that's when we started uh, working with Senator Jose Menendez here in San Antonio. And and let's talk about that right after we come back from our next break. I'm Dr. Ron Martinelli, and this is A Threat of Evidence. Tired of watching the same old, same old sporting events? Well, kick it up a notch and get ready, America, for something you've never seen before. It's the new generation of Western superstars. Shorty Gorham's American freestyle bullfighting. Who will win? The acrobatic, tough-as-nails Western superstar or the meanest half-ton fighting bulls on earth? This is one of the most extreme sports you'll ever see in an arena. This is hand-to-horn combat on a level playing field. Go to shortygoramafb.com or find them on Facebook. It's bullfighting time. Let the silent voices be heard. It's the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.com For a wide spectrum of programming from world and political news, societal and cultural stories, law enforcement, our military heroes, and much more. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Ron Martinelli, and this is A Thread of Evidence. So, Maureen, when we last left off, we were talking about the frustration and the desire to get some sort of law enacted that would protect other people against cyberbullying. Let's talk about that journey. So right after David died, my oldest son Cliff posted on Facebook a letter to the community just asking them to remember David and talked about cyberbullying and the damage that it can cause. And and that is uh, when Senator Jose Menendez read the, the post and reached out to our family. He was already working with another family in San Antonio who was a victim of cyberbullying. He asked us if we would be interested in working with him to uh, work on legislation to address this issue that was uh, hurting our kids. And so we started working with him. Uh, 
really closely after David died, and we met with law enforcement, DAs, school superintendents, teachers, counselors, lots of lawyers and students, anybody who would have a stake in this bill to draft legislation. We also looked at other laws in other states and tried to look at the things that were challenged in those states to make sure that whatever we put on the books was constitutional. Now, you know, this is so fascinating because I'm a guy that spent his entire career in law enforcement, and I used to get so frustrated upon occasion where I knew someone had done something wrong, but I just couldn't find the right elements to match the right statute to get some sort of accountability from people that create wrongdoings. And and I'm a professional in the industry. You and your husband are parents, and you started out with, am I correct, no understanding of the laws or how legislation worked, and you just worked your way all the way up the food chain. This is absolutely amazing. So after you started meeting with people, and I'm, I'm sensing from you that there was tremendous resonance towards your problem. And, and so how did, you, how did you get the Army together to accomplish the amazing feat that you and Matt did? We had an, just an amazing group of people that came forward to want to be part of a solution. Everybody that we talked to knew that this was an issue. We may not have all agreed on what the solution was, and that's what we had to hammer out in this legislation. And so we had some attorneys that had approached us and wanted to do some work pro bono for us, free. Um, that's By the way, for the listeners, that, that's what pro bono means, yeah. okay? It means they gave you free services. They, they did. They gave us free services, and they drafted the bills. And we went draft after draft after draft, and the bill was finally filed on the first day that it could be in November. Now, when you're, when you're saying you went after draft after draft after draft, Matt, that means that both of you were reviewing, personally reviewing, these drafts of legislation? Right. Yeah, we started with um, kind of a, a, a mimicking of a, of a Maryland law that was in place. And, and, and looking at it, we just weren't, we, we just didn't feel that it, that it uh, addressed everything that we wanted to address. The, the person that uh, Senator Menendez was working with uh, that was a situation where the cyberbullying was anonymous, and so we wanted something that would help uh, law enforcement uh, unmask these these anonymous cyber abusers, and so that that wasn't present. Uh, we also wanted some more accountability, and we wanted the uh, the schools to be able to investigate it. So we looked at our own situation. We looked at what happened with the uh, with with uh, Matt Vasquez, who was the uh, who uh, the senator was helping uh, work with his family. Uh, we heard from other people around the state that uh, had, had contacted Maureen, contacted our family, and told us their experiences. And, and so we tried to incorporate all those things and, and came up with kind of a, a, a three-pronged comprehensive uh, way of, of addressing it through the uh, changes in the education code, uh, changes in the civil code, and changes in the criminal or uh, penal code. And so that's, uh, it, we, we're basically at our, at our um, kitchen table in the evening. Uh, our our um, the, the attorneys came by and, and we 
started uh, asking us what we wanted in this law, and so we we. Now, did you get some pushback along the way? Because usually in legislation, you sure. know, when you're fighting for a law, there's always some sort of pushback from somebody. Well, there was uh, we we had no experience in in uh, in politics or or in, in policy making and and. And so we we quickly learned about uh, different special interests and and uh, and tried to we were so the timing because uh, was helped us because when this happened the the legislature was not in session in Texas they're only in session every other year and so in 2016 they they weren't in session and so we had a we we had several months to come up with our first draft and but we did actually get a hearing. Uh, outside of the uh, of, of the session, uh, with the with the uh, criminal justice committee of the state senate, and so that that gave us an opportunity to to show them the draft and, and respond to some questions and, and kind of anticipate uh, what some of these groups would come up with in in, in opposition, and that was in uh, August or, or September of 2016. You and know, so we I made, would, made a few changes after that, and yeah. then, and then came up with our. our First filing of, of uh, actually parallel bills. We filed one in the in the House and one in the Senate that were duplicates, and that was in November of sixteen. You know, I just I find it fascinating that there would be any type of pushback on any type of law like this that really hurts. I mean, you know, about an action that actually hurts people, and of course, your family suffered a tragic death. What was the issue with uh, Maureen? What was the issue with pushback from special interest groups on something like that? Well, I mean, I think there were some people out there that were concerned that it was a the um, First Amendment issue, and then there were others. Social media companies also they were concerned. They like to protect their users, and there were some things in the bill where we would be able to uncover an anonymous aggressor. Um, they didn't like that, and then there were some. There's just a group of people out there, a group of organizations out there that just don't like to have any laws on the books, regardless of their merit. And then there were other groups out there that, that feel like any consequence to a child is not the right way to to address this type of behavior. They believe programs are the way to address it. Well, you know, I, w- I will tell you something as, as a criminologist and also as an investigator, I look at this on many levels. Number one, there are people out there that are just irresponsible. Okay, there are parents out there that are irresponsible. There are children out there that are irresponsible. And if you don't have accountability and the only way that you can have accountability is not with programs but with laws because laws mandate, not only do they provide guidelines for behavior, but they mandate behavior, right? right? And there are, like you said, consequences for behavior. A program doesn't provide accountability, nor does it provide consequences, right? If a person goes through the program or decides they don't want to go through the program, there is nothing statutorily that mandates that they do. And of course, you know, just just for, you know, my team members out there, uh, juveniles, no matter what state they're in, are referred to as wards of the court, Okay, and the reason that they're referred to as wards of the court while they're juveniles is because they're too immature, you know, chronologically, they are too immature to understand 
the consequences of their actions, and that's why they have parents. In an absence of parents, the court becomes the parents, right? And that's why they are referred to as wards of the court. And again, just for everybody that's listening, there are things that peace officers can do with wards of the court that they can't do with adults. Uh, Maureen, talk a little bit about more about that. Let's just start with that education code and why that was such an important component for you. So the education code was the most important to us to, to, because of, of our situation. And uh, the most significant piece of that is that it now allows schools to investigate cyberbullying incidents that occur off campus. And, you know, for us, it was when you're dealing with the Internet, how do you really know when something occurs? What if you have a cyber bully who posts something at night, however, that student doesn't open it up until the next day they're at school? When did it happen? Did it happen at night when it was posted or the next day at school when the student opened it up? There's just so much gray area when it comes to the internet. Bottom line is that if you have a student who is afraid to go to school, don't we owe it to that child to be able to investigate and, and understand what is happening and why that child is fearful? Absolutely. And I will just uh, tell our team members that forensically, when we use a digital forensic expert, we would take a phone like they did in your case. They took David's phone. And then there is a, a time and date stamp when David opens up you know, that Instagram or whatever he gets, text message or whatever. But we're able digitally and forensically to be able to trace that back to the IP address that it originally came from. And from that, it leaves a digital footprint. Okay, so we can get a time and date stamp. Now, what people think uh, <laughs> incorrectly is that if they just erase that Instagram or they, you know, they have like something called Snapchat, which only lasts for a few seconds and goes away, and they think it just goes away. Well, listen, Y'all need to listen to this. It's in the cloud, okay? So it never goes away, and it just takes a smart forensic detective to be able to pull it out. But you're, you're saying the right thing. So let's talk about the civil aspects of this for a second. So the civil side of, of David's law gives uh, parents the tools. We, we wanted this law to be comprehensive and to be able to give schools, parents, as well as law enforcement the tools that we're lacking and so on the civil side, parents can go out and get injunctive relief or like a restraining order against the cyberbully, but also the cyberbully's parents requiring the parents to make that child stop that behavior. Anybody who is a victim of cyberbullying, all they want is the behavior to stop. And so this was a way for parents to be able to have a tool to be able to make that happen. I think that's absolutely critical. Uh, on both cases, both the education code and the civil code, because you really do look at how many up uh, where there, there's a lot of, you know, very, very responsible uh, parents. Uh, you're, you and Matt are certainly a wonderful example of that. You've got three children, you know, God bless you. And I've got four. Uh, but there's other parents that just are not accountable. And so it's, it's good to have a mandate or it not only, you know, guidelines of behavior, both for parents and for kids, but a mandate, a requirement, a legal, a statutory requirement to force them to do the things that they need to do. Because some parents are just reluctant to parent, you know, they're, they're, they're reluctant 
to, to discipline their kids. The kids run the house. The parents are, you know, uh, totally up in the air with what they have to do. As a police officer, detective, I can't tell you how many scores and scores of parents that I used to meet that were just like that. Uh, Matt, can you sp- speak to the criminal side of this, the criminal component on the statute? Sure. I just want to want to start by saying that, yeah, the 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 deterrent factor of this law on the on the education code on and and the civil and the criminal, I mean that's gonna we're hoping that's what's gonna influence parents be, uh, because there is some accountability now and so parents should become more involved in, in, in knowing what their their kids are doing online. It's it's typically their account that's being used and so they need to have some responsibility and set some guidelines for their kids and, and, and basically know we're, we're uh, definitely guilty of, of, of not knowing exactly what our kids are doing and how they're communicating online. And this was, uh, we have two older children, but times really changed in the five-year period between when our uh, middle son was in junior high and when, when David was in junior high and in his early years of, uh, of high school. Uh, and so that's that's really the, the outcome that we're hoping from this law. We're never looking to throw kids in jail or sue people or do anything right. like that. We're, we're, we're trying to stop the behavior. You know, I totally understand that. And I, speaking from a law enforcement perspective, the only way that law enforcement ever gets to, you know, have an open door where we can take the action that we need to take to investigate, right? And and I think we all know that the purpose of an investigation is a search for the truth. We can't even begin that search for the truth unless we have something referred to as legal jurisdiction. So there's got to be a law, there's got to be a statute, right, so that we can develop what we refer to as two standards of proof. Number one is reasonable suspicion. And reasonable suspicion is generally defined as circumstances, uh, statements, facts, and forensic evidence. Of course, the digital footprint would be the forensic evidence that leads us to believe that there's criminal activity afoot. That allows us to go out and stop people and detain them and question them. The second is the higher standard of proof. That's why I'm so glad that this law got passed. And that's referred to as probable cause. Probable cause sounds a lot like reasonable suspicion, but it's a higher level. Probable cause is, again, circumstances, statements, facts, and forensic evidence that leads us to believe that someone committed a crime. And with that, it gives us the power of getting a search warrant and maybe arresting someone that we can't get with that lower standard of proof. So by having an actual law on the criminal side, it gives law enforcement the legal jurisdiction to move in and help you where before you all took your action and did this, took this amazing journey, the cops wanted to help you, but they're shaking their head and they're very frustrated because they didn't have that legal jurisdiction. That's right. Yep. And now we do. And, and that's just amazing. And, and just on behalf of law enforcement, you know, I, I can't thank you two enough. You know, we, we've got, you know, just uh, a few minutes left. And I really want you to talk about, uh, you know, the David Legacy Foundation and how people out there uh, that that's listening to this radio show uh, can, can help you and, and can help, you know, parents like you. 
So after we got the law passed, we kind of sat down and took a breather and said, what do we want to focus on now? And so one of the things that, that we're doing as a foundation is working with school districts. We're going out and presenting about David's Law, talking about cyberbullying. We have an, uh, a sticker campaign, and it's a simple but powerful sticker pledge. On the back is a, a pledge that says, I pledge I will never use my device as a weapon. And on the, on the front of it, the sticker is a texting ellipsis bubble that just kind of represents a time of waiting, a time of thinking before you send. And it's just a reminder to kids that there's a soul behind every screen and that they, you never know what kind of a day or battle the person on the other side is facing. So just choose kindness. You know, can I just interrupt for a second? You know, I do uh, a lot of this work in forensic psychology, and I, I just want the listeners to understand that every single day, every person you meet is battling something. No matter what type of facade they, they put on, the smiling faces, there is something happening in that person's life. And we just all have to be so much more considerate of these people. That's right. And so that's that's really important to us, as well as getting kids involved in this issue. We believe that technology, that's the language that they speak, that they can help us come up with solutions about this issue. The other thing that our foundation is working on, we have a, it's called the DBM Project, and it stands for Don't Bully Me, which is also my son David's initials. And that is pro bono, once again, free legal services to victims of bullying in, in Texas. And what our attorneys do is they usually just takes writing a letter to the parents of that aggressor to make the behavior stop. Um, we've only had to file one lawsuit so far, and, um, but I will say that we've had 100% success rate on everyone that we've been involved in. How can people help you? How can they help and, and you know David's Legacy Foundation. How can they help you and all the work that you and Matt and your family are continuing to do? So I think the most important thing is to help us spread the word. And you can order stickers on our website. You can take them to your schools. You can talk to your school administrators. You can do community events with these stickers. But, but the most you know the th- thing for us is that we believe that. We need a change in culture and the way that we treat one another online. And everybody deserves to be treated with respect and just the dignity and regard that we all deserve. And so by putting a sticker on your phone and making the pledge that you pledge you'll never use your device as a weapon, it stands for something that you can share with other people. It's a great conversation starter. And we've sent out already about 700,000 stickers, uh, 700,000 stickers across the United States. Can you give out your website so that people know how to reach out to you? It's davidslegacy.org. Wow, that's easy. Yeah. davidslegacy.org. Uh, dot, dot and you also have a Facebook presence, don't you? We do. It's, yeah, David's Legacy once again on Facebook. And we encourage everybody to join our Facebook page and, and go to our website and learn more about what we're doing and, and how they can help. Wow. You know, I have to tell you that this has been a remarkable radio program today. 
I learned personally so much about cyberbullying, and you and Matt just have such a remarkable story. I mean, if you can just think of it about two people with no legal background whatsoever, no idea what the criminal justice or educational uh, systems are all about, uh, you emerge uh, from a tragedy and literally make lemonade out of a lemon, and you went on a journey together uh, to do tremendous give back to the community. Uh, and I'm talking about not only just the civilian community, but the criminal justice, the legal community, the law enforcement community in, in, in getting this law done. Uh, my hat's off to you. I salute both of you as a parent and also a professional. I want to thank you both so much for coming here and uh, spending time with me today. Uh, where we've talked about cyberbullying and David's Law and David's Legacy Foundation. I'm Dr. Ron Martinelli, and this is A Thread of Evidence on America Out Loud. Hi, I'm Maureen Molak, founder of David's Legacy Foundation. I'd like to invite you to go to our website, www.davidslegacy.org to order your David's Law Anti-Cyberbullying Pledge sticker. The pledge is a simple pledge, but a powerful one that says, I pledge to never use my phone or computer as a weapon. It serves as a great reminder to all that there is a soul behind every screen and you never know what kind of a day or battle the person on the other side is facing. Come to davidslegacy.org and order your sticker now.